Good evening, everyone. Tonight, we're going to close out our brief three-week series that we have uh, referred to as We. Um, and we've been unpacking who we are as a collective biblical community. Who are we called to be? What is supposed to be our group identity? And how should that identity change our everyday lives, the way we interact with one another? And so if you'd like to open your Bibles, uh, go ahead and open them to 1 Peter chapter 2. Magic Kingdom opened in October of 1971, and on opening day, the Cinderella Castle was already open and stunning and beautiful and all the things that it is now, um, just a minor shade different. Um, But when they built it at Disneyland, the castle that I grew up with, I thought was really big. And then I came here, and then then I went back to Disneyland, and I was like, oh, it's like a little miniature castle. And they wanted to like plus it when they were building here. And they wanted to make it a spectacle, grand in scale and detail. And and so they did a bunch of things to make it just seem opulent and awesome. Uh, And one of the pieces that they did was they commissioned uh, a part of the castle to have uh, five mosaic murals. It's when you're going through uh, this very center of the castle on your left-hand side, if you're coming through the turret area, there's five mosaic murals. They were crafted together with over 500 different colors of glass and gems, fused together with 14 karat gold and silver. To put these five mosaics together, it took a total of six craftsmen two full years to take the story images drawn up by uh, a Disney artist by the name of Dorothea Redman and bring them to life onto the castle walls. I mean, this thing is stunning. And so you see what I love most about these murals is that these five, these five murals are all telling one cohesive story. They tell a condensed story of Cinderella. And so you see the agony of Cinderella with her, as her family tries to tear her down. Uh, in this one at the, the glass slipper going on Cinderella's foot, you see her two sisters, one with a face red with anger and the other green with envy. Uh, And you just get to sense as you're watching, like kind of this story unfolding. And you get to see in the very last frame, the excitement of on Cinderella's face. How incredible is it that millions of bits of broken glass can be brought together to tell a singular story? That's cool, right? And so if we began to remove piece by piece, maybe the jewels in the middle, we just start removing pieces of it. What do you think would happen? Do you think the beauty and the complexity of this mural would be compromised? And as you keep picking off different pieces, which I'm imagining is pretty difficult to do, uh, but if you try to take off all of these pieces, after a while, you start declaring a glaring need for attention in the middle of this and starts compromising the beauty of what the artist intended to tell a unified story. How do you do that if all of the beautiful diversity of pieces aren't where they're supposed to be? And so now let's talk about the church. See, as we gather together and as we scatter on mission, the church is meant to go and to participate. But how? Where can we participate? Why should we even care to participate in the midst of this reality? Now, we live in a, in a world, in our, in our modern culture, that is highly focused on the consumer, right? It's not that we have uh, become any more or less selfish as the centuries have went by. It's just that now it's been capitalized on, right? And so everything is directed towards the consumer. And the idea is that there is somebody who produces and another who consumes. And so then we take that and we image that over our understanding of the church. We walk into a church building uh, and there's snacks offered, music being played, and a teaching uh, that happens. And it all can appear or can become for us consumer focused. Like the organization known as this church is uh, the producer. And then we, the people, are those who walk in here and it's ours, it's our responsibility to simply be consumers. And see, again, that fits in in our cultural moment, in our cultural reality. But here's the, here's the thing that I think many of us have already figured out and sociologists are well aware of, that, that this 
age of consumerism has only brought with it more dissatisfaction, more discontentment, a much greater lack of fulfillment. Our souls are aching. And so in light of that, what is the church meant to be? Who are we? Are we called to be a producer of some spiritual thing to be consumed? And if not, what's our role? What's your role? Are we consumer or participant? And so with that, let, we're going to start our time tonight in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 4. So Peter is writing to the people of the dispersion, uh, Jewish believers who are scattered throughout a, the region of Asia Minor. And he writes it this way. He says, as you come to him, the you here is the word uh, best translated to you all or my favorite word. You guys probably know it by now, but it's y'all, right? Like this is a y'all statement. So as y'all come to him, who's the him? Give it a guess. Jesus, good, good, good guess. That's a, that's a solid guess for this one at least. So as y'all come to Jesus, who is he? He was a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, he was chosen and precious. You, y'all, yourselves, like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So Peter is bringing to the imagination for these Jewish believers a spiritual house. If you know, if you've ever hung out in the Bible, you might be able to imagine what their imaginations would have went to, right? The temple. In the Old Testament, this temple where it uh, was supposed to be a meeting place between heaven and earth, where there would be a holy priesthood who would go and prepare spirit, uh, physical sacrifices to symbolize a spiritual sacrifice between the Jewish people, God's chosen, and God. And so now there's a new spiritual house being referred to. But this new spiritual house isn't built on a bedrock in a physical city. Instead, it's going to have a cornerstone as Peter's going to get to in a moment. And this cornerstone is Jesus. Now, our natural individualistic way of thinking might go, well, I mean, isn't Jesus all we need? And absolutely, he is the all-sufficient one. We only need him for salvation. That is all good and true and absolutely beautiful. But, but is that all God ever had in mind for us? Now, in our individualistic world, our default is, well, yeah. Like, like me and Jesus, it's, it's our thing and no one else needs to be involved in any way, shape, or form. It's just me and him. How many of you have ever thought that or had friends who thought of that? Probably most of us, right? It's like God said, here is a single rock. This rock is, a, is the spiritual house. That reminds me of like Patrick Starr's home, okay? See, the father had in mind a spiritual house that is not in and of itself exclusively just Jesus. Instead, he has in mind a spiritual house where Jesus serves as the cornerstone. We've talked about cornerstones before, but cornerstones are the guiding, the guiding block for a foundation that's to be built in the ancient world. So you put down a cornerstone and it lets you know what direction the rest of the building is supposed to go on. And so on that foundation that is started with Jesus as the cornerstone that the entire spiritual house is meant to be built. So, I mean, God, the all creative one, the God of the cosmos who can just speak things into existence. I mean, He's kind of a big deal, right? So what possible building supplies do you think God would have in mind for a building project of this metaphorical magnitude? I mean, surely the God of the universe, the master craftsman that puts uh, even the best earthly craftsman to, um, to shame. Of course, he's going to use the best building materials imaginable. And think about it. He creates mountains, the creativity of the expanse of the oceans and, and all the stars in the sky. 
Of course, he's going to use gold and silver. I mean, he's God. He's super creative as well. So why wouldn't he just create a brand new building source and material to build this spiritual house out of? Except he doesn't. What does he use? He uses broken pieces of something that is in of itself broken. So it's not like we're just like using little bits of like carved off perfectly glass. It's as if you take a perfectly fit piece of glass and then you throw that on the ground. Like that's what God uses as his building materials. Something that seems utterly unredeemable, dirty, scuffed up, only fit to be tossed out. Try again, start again. Something so darkened by sin and stained by death that of course he's not going to even attempt to build out of it. I mean, he could, but like why? Start again, start better. Except that's exactly what he does. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Living stones. Like him who is the living stone. He was the cornerstone of the foundation. You yourselves. Who is he talking to? Well, originally to the audience of Jewish believers in Asia Minor, but not just to them, but to us right here, right now. To the church. Now, living stones. Let's break that down for a second. Stones are in and of themselves, inanimate, right? Like Jesus, there's a bunch of different metaphors that God's used for his people at times, but uh, a branch and a vine, Bran- well, branches and vines, those things are alive. Trees live, right? Uh, a flock of sheep, those all have breath in their lungs, right? But here he uses a metaphor of living stones. Stones that, now, can stones all of a sudden decide to breathe? No. Can they just decide to all of a sudden be filled with sap that can serve it getting? No, it doesn't work that way, at least that I'm aware of. But stones that are living because the God of the universe deemed them so. Living stones being built up as a spiritual house. Now I'm going to do some mixing of metaphors here, so please forgive me. But see, when Jesus was raised from the grave and the spirit of life was breathed into the life of the church, God was doing something on a cosmic scale. God creates a spiritual house that is being put together like a giant mosaic. Unique broken pieces that should never be able to fit together. Why would you? But being brought together to tell one unified story that leads people to Jesus. See, this is what every follower of Jesus needs to be reminded of often. It's not just that you are loved, although that is fascinating and important that we know, but it's that we are loved because we become a part of his covenant people. We become a part of Jesus's bride. We become a part of something so much bigger than ourselves. We get to be part of the we. In fact, that's why it's, it's so important that we are reminded of this, that in the very early days of this particular local church, we became known as Mosaic. Every time, so that we'd be reminded every time we gather that we are we. We, not just those on stage, but all those who have surrendered their lives to Jesus and have begun to truly make this their biblical community. We are put together as a mosaic of broken people. We're not always the best, not always the brightest, but we're his. And we are being built up. So it's not about perfection. It's about giving him glory. It's about putting him on display because it's not about the story of a living stone. It's about the story of what happens when all the living stones are assembled together. When you look at the mosaic mural and you're like, That's what we get to be a part of. Now that's ridiculous, right? Why would the God of the universe desire to partner with humans? Would you? I wouldn't. He allows us to be a part of his cosmic story. It makes no sense that God would desire for us to participate. Yet this is continually the theme of the scriptures. I don't get it. In the garden. Before sin creeps into the world, Adam is told that humanity is called to co-rule planet Earth with him. 
okay, that makes sense a little bit. Like, I mean, we're still, we're created. We're not creator. We're, we're not even like anywhere near side by side to God, but at least we're not filled with sin yet. But then fast forward, sin enters into the picture and Abraham comes on the scene and God comes to Abraham. Now, Abraham, we look at him as a marker of faith, which he was, but not a perfect faith. He was very, very flawed. And it's to Abraham that he says that you and your offspring will be blessed so that the rest of the world will be blessed through your lineage. You're going to participate with me. What? The story continues leading us to Jesus. His lineage, Abraham's lineage leads us to Jesus. And Jesus, I mean, finally we got a human who can actually do the job doesn't hurt that he's absolutely God as well, which, hence why he can do the job. But then what does Jesus do? Does he go off on a, a lone wolf, single stone journey? No, he invites a bunch of knuckleheads around him. I mean, talk about inconsistent, right? And then he says, you, you, you all, you're all misfits, come here. Like you, none of this makes sense, come here. I'm gonna use you. Oh, go ahead and try. Yeah, you messed that one up royally, didn't you? Come on back, come on back. He continues to use and desires to partner with humans. Which takes us to the reaffirmations of Paul's letters where he's constantly coming back to this idea that we are no longer slaves, but we are now co-heirs with Jesus. God wants to partner with humans. I don't get it. Do you? I mean, really think about it. Would you partner with us? Over and over and over and again, God's desires to see humanity partner with him in meaningful ways. He doesn't just like give us a part of all the, the, uh, the puzzle pieces that we're never gonna fit together. And he's like, yeah, go off in the corner and think that you're doing something important. No, he's like, you're the plan A for how the gospel is gonna get to the nations. I don't have a plan B. Let's go. What? It doesn't make sense, but it only does because he wanted to. He delights in his creation of humanity and loves us so much that he invites us to participate with him in his story for our good and for his glory. So he can use you. He can. If it, especially if you realize that on your own, you're just a broken piece of glass, he can use you actually what he wants is for us to start by realizing our brokenness, our deep need that I cannot make myself useful on my own. I can't give myself life on my own. Only this master craftsman can do it. And he will use you when you surrender your life and your way to him. When you say, I'm going to trust your way over my way. I'm going to believe that you have done what I could not and that in Christ alone, I can be saved and found. And it's unbelievable, right? It's unbelievable, but I do believe it. And I believe it because this is what God has done in my story. And it's, I believe it because I've seen that story played out in so many of your lives as well. See, what he does is he takes broken pieces of discardable glass and he unites it to tell this story. He takes these living stones make no sense in why he would use them. And he says, yeah, that's exactly what I'm going to use. And through your weakness, it's only going to proclaim my glory all the more. See, but to simply live as a consumer, just it just doesn't make sense in light of this, right? To be a consumer would miss this entire vision of what he wants for us. God does not just want to save you. Now he does want to save you but it's not all he wants to do. He wants to redeem and restore you to the image of what we were meant to be all along, co-rulers with Christ. Feels heretical when I say it, except it's biblical. See, this doesn't mean that in our participation, we never receive. In fact, it requires it. It's not just, okay, now you have a mission, uh, so you're in bondage. Go, go do exactly what I say and uh, to, the, to the absolute nth degree where you have no life left in you. Oh, that's not what God has in mind either. He wants us to receive. See, our participation is not complete if we are not given space and opportunity to both receive and give to one another. 
Now, one story in uh, in particular that came to mind over the last week uh, was the story of my friend Nick. And so I want to invite Nick to come on up and uh, share a little bit about his story and how some of this reality uh, came to life um, in his story as part of this community. Hi, guys. Can you hear me? Cool. Wow. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So before I came to Mosaic, um, I was in a really, really broken place in my life. Um, just to give a quick few uh, oversights of it. Um, I, I was married and I was uh, working for a church. And around, around the time before I came to Mosaic, uh, I lost my job and I was going through a divorce. Um, and I felt in that moment, everything that I was holding onto that I found identity in uh, was falling, it was, it was falling apart. Um, and, and it crushed me. Um, and so um, I was working at Disney World as a bus driver and uh, somebody that goes to Mosaic invited me to check out Mosaic. I was really skeptical because I was like, well, I just had a, a pastor crush my dreams and you know, I hated the church and was very skeptical of any type of leadership. And, um, and, but I, there was something inside of me that I just, because I felt so alone, whether I was at my job or I was at my, in my, my personal life, I didn't have anybody. I didn't have community. I didn't have friends. Um, my family was in Virginia. Um, and so I didn't know, I didn't know what to do. So I said, okay, I'll check it out. And so I went to the Winter Garden campus, checked it out. Um, and then I, I, on my knees, I was crying, and I went to um, someone to the, the prayer wall, and they told me about the Disney campus when they found out I was a cast member. And so I decided, a couple weeks went by, and so I, I decided that one night I, I would go check it out. And so I uh, walked in. Um, everyone was super nice, welcomed me. Um, but Danny uh, saw me, and he went straight to me. And he was like, hi, I'm Danny who are you? <laughs> and um, so, and that just kind of started a deeper friendship that I never thought I would have with a pastor. And, um, you know, I was thinking about this idea of, of, of receiving, and I was in a moment or, or a place in my life where I really just needed to sit and receive. Um, I think sometimes when we are in that season of receiving, it allows space for us to practice humility and to really receive what God is trying to do in you. And that season, um, I learned that the cornerstone was not Jesus in my life. The cornerstone was the success, the, the, the healthy lifestyle, or the, the, the perfect, you know, the family, the, 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 the perfect family to, to create. And I realized that, you know, I needed Jesus to be my cornerstone. I needed him to be everything. And so um, I, it took a couple months, and I, I found a lot of restoration um, in my relationship with him. Um, I found a lot of trust in the church, and that is what helped me lead into a season of life where I could give. And um, But the way that I started to give was I just started to show up to things. I started to participate just simply just being in community. I didn't, I didn't really know anybody, but I was, when people invited me to things, I just showed up. And over time, the more I just kept coming and growing, the Lord healed every broken space in my life and redeemed so many areas that I didn't think were redeemable. But he used this community and he used, um, he used, he used Danny's friendship and his discipleship to help me trust in, in the church, to trust in the Lord all over again. Um, and now I am in a space where I can give and receive at the same time and find blessings in both. Um, uh, I recently have been leading one of our community groups here at Mosaic, and uh, one of the coolest things that happened is someone in our community group uh, got baptized yesterday. Um, and to sit there and experience that, to look about, to, to, to see her get baptized and then to look at my life where I started coming here and how God has redeemed me. And through that process of receiving and giving and then receiving and giving, it's, it makes me speechless sometimes. And it sometimes it just brings me to tears. 
And um, so that's a little bit about my story and how um, how God has kind of redeemed those spaces in my life and how I've been able to participate um, in what God is doing in my life through Mosaic or in Mosaic and, um, and through other spaces in my life. So thanks for sharing, Nick. And so stories like that, if, if you go, man, that means Mosaic's like the best church ever, you'd be missing the point. See, Mosaic, what we are and what each of us who follow Jesus are is simply a living stone or as a church, like a collection of living stones that are being made into this, this beautiful spiritual house. We're just a little part of it, but we together tell this unified story that leads people to Jesus about his glory and about his magnitude and about what he has done. And so we get to participate as we both receive and give. And so we have to remember that if all we ever do is receive, at some point we cross over into the land of consuming again, where it's just about me receiving. But see, true participation takes us into a place of health where we are constantly in the midst of this, uh, of both giving and receiving that we are pouring out as we are being invested into. And that's the best of what we begin to do as we participate. And so as a part of Jesus' spiritual house, you are called to participate in both ways, in a mix of the two ways, if you know and follow Jesus. See, the question is no longer if or when you are called to participate in the story. The questions are where and how. Where will you participate in the life of your local church? Now, some of you are visiting from out of town. And uh, some of you are here and you're kind of like checking out uh, church here and there and all that kind of stuff. And if that's you in either of those spaces, then then this message is still for you because this isn't a message about mosaic. This is a message about what does your participation look like? Where is God calling you to worship? What's the biblical community he has called you to participate in? Now, I also know that some of us here haven't surrendered our lives to Jesus. And if that's you, then know that the desire of this particular community and communities like us is to journey with you in the midst of doubts and questions. And if you're here tonight and you do consider this to be your home church, your your biblical community, if you believe that God has called you to this community to be a part of what he is doing on mission here, then I want you to know there are a ton of different ways that you are invited to participate. Now, there are three resources that each of us are called to steward in life and that we can use to participate. Time, talent, and treasure. Our our schedules are crazy, right? Especially if you're a cast member, we all know it. And yet, we can participate by fighting back against the busyness of our schedules to carve out margins so that we can participate in life together. If your schedule does not allow you to participate in biblical community in any way, then that's hard. Not judgment, it's just like, that's just hard. And that's probably not livable forever. And so we need to participate with our time. We need to participate with our talents. And so we participate by using the talents and the giftings that God has given us to serve one another. We're all a little bit different. I like that. If all of you were like me, man, you'd get on each other's nerves a lot. Um, But instead, we're all unique. And so we can all bless one another in different ways. It's beautiful. We get to participate. And we also get to participate with our treasure. Now, Jesus talks about money more than any other subject in particular, and not because he was looking to swindle his followers, which by the way, were extremely impoverished, which would have been a bad sell, but because he knew that the reality for humans is that our financial situations are intricately woven into our spiritual lives. We are holistic creatures. And that's why he would go on to say, where your treasure is, your heart is also. And in the early church, they, we talked about this last week, they served one another with radical generosity. It was so cool. They they sold all that they needed and then provided to any as they had need. And see, there's a theme in the scriptures of financial participation being a significant reality for God's people on mission. 
And as a church, you may notice if you've ever been, if you've been with us for any amount of time that we don't pass a plate. Uh, like maybe a church that you've experienced before. Now, it's not a judgment on other churches, but because we, this is our way of contextualizing what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And, and there, Paul writes, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so we don't want to make it awkward. We don't want to make it feel forced. We don't want to make it feel like, ugh, it's coming my way and I don't carry cash anymore. Uh, we instead want to disciple our church into being the kind of church that is just cheerfully, radically generous. That includes in the taking care of this local church and the mission that we have been called to steward. But this extends into our workplaces, our families, our neighborhoods, and beyond. That we are just a people who are cheerfully, radically generous. But we also don't want this topic of finances to be one that, uh, that we just never talk about. Because to do that would be to miss out on a significant opportunity for participation, for discipleship, and honestly for obedience to God. And so this isn't about some legalistic requirement. It's about a true calling and invitation into the story. And so if you are a part of any local church or you're considering becoming a part of any local church, I would encourage you to look at where are you currently participating financially in the life of your local church and pray with that, talk to God about that. See if he wants you to participate as a first-time giver, an occasional giver, an intentional giver, a tithing giver, or an extravagant giver. Because you see, it's not about the amount in and of itself. It's about have you surrendered that part of your life over to him? And it's really hard. Like, I know what cast members make. I'm one of them. Like, like it, it's hard. But when we participate with God, we are saying, I trust you. And so here's what's crazy, though, when we participate financially in the mission of a local church. What we're doing is we're not just paying for salaries and keeping the lights on, although those are included and those are important realities too. But we are participating in stories both locally and across the globe of what God is doing as a local church receives money and begins to send it out all over into mission pockets. We showed a video uh, last week that showed some of the local and global partners that we have. We have local and global partners, over 50 of them, all spanning the globe. And so when you participate financially in this story, that's what you're participating in. It's crazy that we get to participate. And so we participate with all of our varied resources, our time, our talents, and our treasure. But with time and talent, how do we find our place to participate? And so this is why our new Connect process is so vitally important for the life of our community. It helps guide and direct each of us in our participation. And so if you can go ahead and put up the slide for step one. And so if you're new with us, our invitation for you is to participate through discovery. It's not a commitment of any kind. It's coffee or tea or ice cream, kind of your choice. Um, but what it is, is one of our coffee connectors, one of our leaders, taking you out for coffee, tea, or ice cream, or, you know, maybe a mix of those. Uh, and you're going to have a good time. You're going to connect. You're going to hear the story of Mosaic a little bit. That person will be able to hear your story. You'll be able to build a relationship with somebody who truly loves Jesus and wants to see what's God's best for you. It's a great first step because in it, you can find your next step in connecting and participating. And you also then will have at least one friend in the building every time you come in. It's a great thing. And if you've already attended a Coffee Connect or feel like it's not really a necessary first step for you because you believe uh, you've already made this your biblical community in a lot of ways, then we want to invite you into the next step, which is to invest. And so when we participate through investing in our community, what we mean by that is to join a community group as well as join in into a ministry team. Now, if you haven't 
joined a community group yet, then I want to encourage you to do so because it's going to be the primary way of you being known and knowing others in the life of the church. They're going to be your people over time. Maybe not at first. Maybe that first time you come in, it's a little weird. They're using in, like some language that you're not familiar with, but typically there's food. And where there is food, good conversations can happen. So, so we take time to eat together, play together, care for one another spiritually, pray with one another. Do I study the scriptures? It's a place for you to not just be blessed, but even as Nick was saying, like just by being there, that makes you a part of the blessing. Your, your person being there, like you get to be a part of this new thing. You are being put up in that mosaic, connecting with others. And so we want to see that for you. I want to see that for you. This community wants to see that for you, that you would get connected. And now when it comes to serving, I know that for some of us, we've been burnt out as Nick was from churches of the past. And, uh, and, and that's the opposite of our goal. Uh, we want to see our volunteers thrive. We want to see our volunteers thrive. We, we talk about often that we care more about um, how you're doing than what you're doing. And we mean it. And so we want to see you thrive. And a part of what it means to thrive in community is beginning to serve one another. So, in, so what we desire to do is to see you truly care for one another in this community. It's the difference between coming into a church gathering and uh, bringing a fork, like ready to consume, ready to just chow down. Versus coming together, bringing a serving spoon. Because if we all brought serving spoons, then we all get to feed one another. It's not just about what's happening on the stage. It's about what happens before and after. It's about what happens with, whether you take a donut or not. It's, it's just the life of community that happens and it's beautiful. Now, you might think, well, I walk in here each Sunday and it seems like everything's kind of covered. I mean, the cornhole's out, the donuts are there, blue shirts are all super friendly. It, it, like, like, what can I do to be a part of this? Well, I, I asked all of our ministry leaders over the course of last week about this and, and they let me know that we need at least 25 new volunteers to help serve in this space. We need for our Connect team, which are our blue shirts, to do a phenomenal job setting up the donuts and making everything hospitable and warm, helping to connect you to the right information and all that kind of stuff. That team needs six individuals joining that team. For serve support, uh, our friends who take care of making sure everything is set up and torn down because we don't own this building, uh, we just pay rent, which means we won't have to restore it back to the way we found it each and every week. And so... That takes a team, and that team's awesome, and that team can use six more humans in that team too. Kids ministry. Our kids ministry volunteers are absolutely awesome, and they need four. Four, four people to come into that team to help serve our kids, disciple our kids, care for our kids, give them goldfish, uh, try to, uh, I mean, granted, after seven o'clock, my kids are a lot as well, um, but they're also wonderful. And it's such a sweet space. And that team needs four. For production, our, our silent heroes in the back black box. Uh, they, they are there first. Can we just give them an applause really quick? Mm. Production is just flat out awesome. And that team uh, needs five volunteers. For our CP shuttle squad, taking our van over to uh, Flamingo Crossing, both locations to pick up CPs each and, every, uh, each and every Sunday to be that first impression for many CPs. We need six volunteers on that team. As well as uh, there's always an ongoing need for both our worship team and as far as uh, individuals to throw their hat in the ring for leading and hosting community groups within our community. Now, why is it so important to find a place to serve? Is it because we have 25 needs? No. It's because when we serve, when we serve, we get to serve one another. We get to serve all those who come in to experience this, whether they know and follow Jesus yet or not. We get to serve together. It's not about what we put on up here. It's about what we do together. We serve one another. 
And see, through serving, you're not only able to be a blessing to others, you are actually blessed in the process. It's the wildest thing. It's like Jesus knows what he's talking about sometimes. Because, and here's one of my favorite things, you begin to gain an appreciation for the efforts that other put in. Because you can kind of come in here and go, wow, it's like Tinkerbell set everything up and it's awesome and wonderful. But the reality is it takes like humans to make all of this stuff a reality and very few of us are paid to do it. We're serving. So many of us just come in here to serve, to care because they care about you. Because you realize that, that the volunteers we have, I love this. They don't just come in because it's the right thing to do, but because they genuinely desire to serve you. That when you come in, you're being cared for. And when you begin to step into that serving story and you begin to invest in this community, you get to serve others. And you get to be in awe of all the other ways that others are serving as well. It's really cool. And so we participate as we invest in our community through serving and through joining a community group. And so the third step on the connect process is commit. Now commit. In the early church, there was clearly a deep commitment to one another within the local church. They were committed to one another. They had access to one another's lives and stories. They were able to step in and press in and encourage and disciple and give life to one another. It's why Paul uses this metaphor of the body of Christ. He uses that metaphor to talk about the church being the body of Christ. And he describes how there's a beautiful diversity of members to the body. Uh, he doesn't mean members in the sense of like getting a membership for a gym or AMC A-list, where it's like at your leisure, go ahead and part, use your, utilize your membership. And you can go into the gym uh, to grab a piece of fruit and then take off, or you can go to A-list and go see three movies a week, right? Instead, what he had in mind were the members like these ones, members of a body. Uh, things like fingers, toes, nose, eyes, ears. I got them all on the first try. That was great. <laughs> the first time Abby got them all, I was so proud. It was, I was like, ah, oh, way to go, girl. All right. Now, imagine if an ear got frustrated with an eye. And was like, I don't like you. I, I'm leaving this face. And then the eye and the ear just like popped off and ran away. One, that would make a really weird video. Um, a, I could probably do it. Uh, but biblically, that's the concept of what it means to belong to a body. That we get to discover that we are called to commit. And now I, I know that word commitment, like that's scary stuff in our world, right? Like I don't want to commit to anything. I hear you say commit, and what I'm actually hearing you say, Danny, is you want to trap me. And that's not it at all. It's that we commit because the church is meant to be countercultural. It doesn't mean that we're meant to be hostile. It means that we're to, meant to display radical love and steadfastness to one another. And so if you are investing in our community and you're ready to commit to the story that God is telling in us and through us as a church, then we want to invite you to step into covenant partnership. Now, covenant partnership is our way of expressing as at Mosaic that we are fully committed followers of Christ, that we are committed to our core beliefs, that we're truly moving on mission together, that we are committed to seeing our community flourish, and that we see ourselves as active participants in this particular we. And so if you're interested in finding out more about covenant partnership process, the first step is going to be to sign up on our interest form, uh, which you'll get in a bit in our announcements. Uh, and what, what's happening right now with this process is that we are close to being ready to launch it in just a few months. Now at the Winter Garden Campus, they've already launched a covenant partnership process, um, but we want to make sure that we have all, everything in a row uh, before uh, launch so that it, it does well and wisely. And so once we are ready to launch, we're going to email you uh, before we even announce from the stage so that you have an opportunity to sign up for one of our classes. Now, the class isn't the commitment of, your, of itself. You coming and checking it out doesn't mean that now like we're, you're, you're signing in blood or anything. There's no signing in blood at any point in the process, thankfully. Uh, but at the class, you're going to discover more about the heart of Mosaic, the call towards covenant partnership, as well as the next steps. And personally, I have dreamt about our community stepping into something like covenant partnership for years in a culture that has no regard for commitment. I'm 
like that's scary stuff for me too. To belong and to say, I belong to you and we belong to one another, that we are in this mission together, that I've got your back, that you've got mine, that we're in this story. It creates new pathways for belonging and spiritual formation and shepherding and living on mission. This is what we get to enter into together. And so you'll hear more about that in the months to come. And so discover, invest, and commit. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, the question is not whether you are called to participate. It's just where and how. See, when we participate, we move from consuming into a space of both giving and receiving. This is what we get to do. We get to participate. When I lived in Shanghai a few years ago, uh, my Mandarin was, uh, was definitely a work in progress and a very, very, very slow work in progress at that. But there's one phrase that I particularly loved. Uh, it's the phrase jiao. Literally, it translate, closest translation would be put oil on it. Kind of an odd phrase, right? Like put oil on it. It makes me think of like cooking or something. Like put oil on the potatoes. I don't know. But the phrase is used when you're encouraging someone to endure in the midst of difficulty. So it doesn't always have to be severe. It could be like you're working out with somebody and it's like, Jaya, like you got this. You're like, keep the fire stoked. It's kind of like the idea. So it's like, Jaya, you can, you can bench that. Uh, or if, some, if, if you are staying up late, finishing a homework assignment, it's like, Jaya, you got this. You can do it. But one of the most beautiful uses of this phrase was um, in the city of Wuhan uh, during, the mid, uh, during the beginning of the, their lockdown in um, the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, you might not be able to fathom the scale of a lockdown like this. The city of Wuhan is 12 million people. Okay, let me give context. New York City is 8 million. So 50% bigger city. And that's not even close to the biggest city in China. But 12 million humans. Slowly, started with a quarter of the city and then it grew to the entire 12 million residents were not allowed to leave their apartments for 76 days. Imagine being in a city where you're around 12 million humans every single day. And all of a sudden, you are with either by yourself or with those who live with you. And you don't know when it's going to end. And I remember seeing this video from early on in the pandemic as their city endured the fear and the anxieties and the bitter loneliness of an extremely social and caring culture that was now not even able to look others in the eye unless they were in the same apartment. And I saw this video and I wanted to show this video to you guys. So it's hard to make out um, specifically everything about it. But what this is, it's a video of their cityscape just panning back and forth, saying one word over and over again for 30 minutes. Jaya, 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 Jaya. Over and over and over again. They said at the top of their lungs, and see, as they were shouting Jayo, they were both encouraging one another and being encouraged by one another. It reminds me of how we each need one another desperately. That we are not meant to live solitary existence, lone wolf lives, where it's all about my story, my little living stone. It's about our living stone becoming a part of what God is building in his spiritual house. This idea that we are uh, being a blessing as we are blessed. It reminds me of how we end each gathering each Sunday now, where, where we both proclaim a blessing over one another as we are being blessed from one another, right? That's a beautiful image of the church. This is what Jesus had in mind for his covenant people, that they would participate together and in doing so be built up as a spiritual house ready to worship him fully. So when I ask, where are you being called to participate? That's not about a building or an organization. It's about something much bigger, much more rich. It's about being a blessing as you are blessed. 
It's about belonging and about being. And so I want to invite you to find where and how you're being called to participate. Whether it's here in this local church, another local church in the area, or back home. Where is God calling you to participate and how? Remembering that God doesn't need your participation, but he desires it deeply. I'm going to invite the band to come on up. Because you see, what he wants is that each and every one of us are like these broken shards refined and placed together so that one day when we get to the other side of eternity, when the kingdom is made in full, we look around at the throne room and we are just in awe. And we get to hear the stories of people who came hundreds of years from now and hundred years before us. That we have been benefited by those who have gone before us around the globe. And we will be a blessing to those who come after. May that be true of this community. May that be true of you. Would you pray with me? Lord, our great desire is to to follow. But that's really hard to do when, uh, when, when everything in us desires to isolate or only show half the story. We've experienced hurt and pain in the past and, it, and it's hard to, to put ourselves out there again. It's vulnerable. And the reality, God, is you know it is. I don't understand fully why you wanted to use us, us humans us broken shards, but you did. You didn't create some new spiritual beings who are better than we are at all the things that we are so lacking in. You, you wanted us, you wanted me, you wanted my friends in this room, and you wanted us to know the depths of your love for us. So Lord, would you help us to surrender tonight to that? to experience that in community. That as we sing this next song over one another, that we would sing proclaiming the goodness of God. Proclaiming it so that others would be blessed as they are blessing us. Lord, we need you more than we know. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.